Okay, well, it's good to see everybody out, and uh, we join with Glenn. Welcome everybody out. I invite you to get your Bibles and follow along with us as we open the Word of the Lord. And we invite you to open to the book of Isaiah chapter 40. Old Testament passage, Isaiah chapter 40. It is a tremendously interesting passage, a powerful passage when you contemplate some of the things that are said here. We title our lesson, Our Incomparable God. I mean, who could we compare God to? There's nothing or no one. There's just not anything you compare God to. And that's going to be talked about in this chapter. And to think about the greatness and the magnificence and the power of, of the Almighty. Good to see everybody out. And hope that our time will be profitable. And certainly it would be and will be if we open our hearts and open our minds to the teachings of the Word of the Lord. Here in the book of Isaiah chapter 40, uh, let me just kind of talk about where we're going to go. First part, we're just going to be reading and just observing some different things from Isaiah chapter 40. And then the second part of the lesson, we're going to just try to draw uh, five practical uh, lessons uh, of what we've studied about. All right, first off, here in the first 11 verses, there are four voices that are heard. In verses 1 and 2, the voice of mercy and pardon are talked about. Comfort you, comfort you, my people, says your God. Speak you comfortably to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Of course, throughout the prophets, there was the talk of the coming uh, captivity and the punishment that would befall the Jews and ultimately how they would come back in restoration and then the waiting of the coming of the Messiah. And so this has the overtones of how they, of course, receive double. That's kind of interesting. They receive double for her, all her sins. And, of course, just a side note lesson there is like you always get back more. You're always going to reap more than what you sow. So when we do wrong, we're going to get back more and double in this phraseology here for her sins. But she's kind of learned. And going into Babylonian captivity, uh, Israel learned a lot of important lessons and turned aside from a lot of the idolatry that got them in so much trouble, etc. And so there was uh, mercy and pardon. Then we continue on there in verses 3 through 5, the voice of one preparing the way. And this, of course, really after the coming back, there in the, in the picture of God, the coming of John the Baptist, who would enunciate and prepare for the coming of Jesus the Messiah. The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. And every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough places plain. Kind of wonder if people were reading this verse when they started building interstate highways. Because in the interstate highway system, as you go through Kentucky, they've sort of straightened out places. And the hills and the mountains, they sort of cut through them and they take all that field and they fill up the valley. So it makes it much more smoother and nicer in traveling. And that is the imagery that is used here, preparing the way for the Lord. And that's what John the Baptist did. There were the big, high, exalted, lofty people. John was sort of bringing them down and telling them they need to repent. And the lowly people, he was saying, hey, hey, we, we've got great things in Christ Jesus. And he was sort of picking them up. And he was making everything, uh, preparing for the coming of Jesus and uh, the great work that he would do. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And so the prophecy of the coming of John the Baptist 
and the good things that he would do preparing the way of the Lord. And then in verses 6 through 8, we have the voice of the everlasting word. In verse 6 beginning, the voice said, cry. And he said, or one said, what shall I cry? Well, here's what's to be proclaimed. All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the Spirit of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people is grass. Well, when we look at the plants and the herbs and, and uh, et cetera, flowers, you know, in the spring, I love springtime in Kentucky. Everything's coming out after a long winter. The, the temperature's getting warmer. Flowers are beginning to come forth. The grass is turning green. The trees begin to bloom. And, uh, you know, the leaves come out. It's a, a time of uh, rejuvenation, etc. But then... As the year drags on, these things fade away. The flowers, they fall off. They don't last forever. The grass and the plants, they don't, they don't last forever. They soon die down as we enter into the, the sleep of winter. And so it is when we talk about humanity. There's nobody here that's forever. I mean, you meet people and they're in good health and you've known them for decades, but then they go the way of all the earth. They get old and they wear out and break down also. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And that's a tremendous promise. And of course, Peter quotes that in 1 Peter chapter 3. The word of the Lord endures forever. That's the great thing about this Bible. You know, we pick it up and we study it. I've been studying the Bible now since 1977. Before then, the only time I ever looked at the Bible, we had a family Bible, I'd look at the pictures. That's all I did. Never read the Bible until I got out of high school, but been reading it now for uh, 40, like 44 years or so. Boy, I guess going on 45 years. Oh, boy, what's the point? It's still the same. The Word of God's still the same. It endures forever. There's been people that has tried to, to assault the Bible, to destroy the Bible, to burn the Bible, to, to denounce the Bible. But the Bible remains. And it is a best-selling book year after year. And then in verses 9 through 11, the voice of evangelism. The Word of God, it stands and goes forth. And then here in verses 9 through 11, uh, the proclamation of the gospel is uh, uh, predicted here in this passage. O Zion, that brings good tidings, get you up into the high mountains, O Jerusalem, that bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. And so it would be, beginning in Jerusalem, that the gospel message would be proclaimed, as Isaiah chapter 2 also prophesied. Behold, the Lord God will come with a strong hand, and His arm shall rule for, uh, for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His work before Him. He shall feed His flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with His arm and carry them in His bosom. And shall gently lead those that are, that are with young. So we have the promise of the coming good shepherd, Jesus the Savior. And how he would tenderly care for his people. And for his faithful followers as he would protect, as he would guide. And he would always be there. I mean that's just a tremendous promise of good news. That this message would go forth. It would start in Jerusalem and then go forth and be proclaimed. And yet, and yes, even in... 2021, here on November the 28th, we're still proclaiming the same message. The good news. 
that salvation is in Christ Jesus, that our God is an incomparable God, and that He's the one that we look to, and He's the one that gives us all these rich blessings that are found in His Son, Christ Jesus. And then notice, beginning there in verse 12, Jehovah is compared to creation. And this is, this is really fascinating to think about Jehovah God, the existent one, the, the idea of Jehovah is the self-existent one. Everything that we think about had a point of beginning. I mean, you go see kind of famous buildings. Maybe you go see the Empire State Building. And uh, there were some friends that are visiting up in New York. And anyway, they put some uh, pictures on Facebook. And I was looking at them where they had visited uh, 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 <clears throat> the Empire State Building. And the plaque there, when you come in on the first floor, or maybe on the outside, but I think it was inside, you got the plaque of when it was built and how many stories and architects and blah, blah, blah. It had a point of beginning. And you think about other uh, national treasures like that of the, you know, the Washington Monument or the building of the White House, etc. Or you go back even further, some of the castles over in Europe and they were built like hundreds and hundreds of years ago. They had a point of beginning. But Jehovah, he is the self-existent one. He's the one that has always existed. He had no point of beginning. He's always existed. Everything about earth, it had a point of beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We, we had a point of beginning, but not God. And so uh, here, here he talks about Jehovah God as compared to creation. Verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Think about any body of water. Here we are close to Lake Cumberland. 50,000 acres of water area. 50,000 acres. God could put all that water in the hollow of his hand, that is, here in the cup of his hand, as it were. He could, he could measure that. Look at a bigger body of water, like the Great Lakes up in north from here. Tremendously uh, great lakes. They're, they're called great because they're, they're really big. He could measure them in the hollow of his hand. You could look at the Caribbean Sea. You can look at the Atlantic Ocean, and you can look at the Pacific Ocean. God can measure it in the hollow of his hand. He knows how many gallons there are. I mean, can you compare God to the oceans, even as vast as they are? Well, no, he's incomparable. He, he can measure them in the hollow of his hand, as it were. And meet it out uh, heaven with a span. I mean, the... People look into the heavens and they talk about these galaxies and the, and the Milky Way and they talk about how many light years, that is, the distance that light can travel in a year. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. And so you measure it out a year time. How many millions, 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 billions, billions, trillion, trillion miles. And God can measure them with the meat, uh, meet them out with the, with the span. That is, as you would, as you would, measure this microphone is one span in length uh, you, you could you could take take my Bible it's it's like one span in height God could span with his span he could say oh here, here's the distance of the universe here's the distance of this galaxy I mean the, that that's the the language that's being used to show the incredibleness of God <clears throat> and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure I mean, could you imagine scooping all this dirt? You, you, you ever notice how they build things? And they're like pushing dirt, and they make big mounds of dirt, and they're going to use that and move it around. They're going to fill in this place, like the interchange. They're working out there on 461 and 80, and they're pushing all this dirt around and moving all this rock. And just think, if you just gathered all that up, God could measure all that, tell you how many 
metric tons of dirt there are in the earth. And weigh the mounds and the scales and the heels and the balance. Could you imagine here you've got these scales, you've got this big balance, and you're just going to pick up this, this heel and just plop it over there and, and calculate how many, how many tons that heel weighed. I mean, just the fact of picking up a big, big heel and plopping it over on scales, that would be pretty, pretty, pretty significant. Or, or mounds that are much bigger than heels and picking one of them up and setting them over on scales. I mean, that, that's what it's saying about God, that he could just he could weigh them. He could just pick them up and put them over there and weigh them and tell you how many, uh, how many million tons that, that are represented there. I mean, that's the greatness of our God. He, he's incomparable as you think about creation. Verse 13, who has directed the spirit of the Lord or being his counselor has taught him? I mean, who sat down and said, now, now, now Lord, here, here's, the way, here's the way you make, you make rhinoceroses. You know, here, here's the way you make elephants. I mean, the blue whale. I mean, here's the dimensions you need to have in making the blue whale, the biggest uh, animal in, in, in the earth. I mean, who sat down and, and gave God counsel about anything? I mean, we do things. Maybe we're going to work on some roof structure, and so we consult uh, Glenn or somebody else that knows things about carpentry. Or maybe we're going to work on finances, and so we, we, we go over here and we, we talk with uh, Susan to give us some financial counsel and advice. Maybe, maybe we, we're studying about something else. Maybe we're sewing, and so you go to the seamstress and you ask, well, how, how do you do this, etc. We, we find counsel for all kinds of different things. I mean, nobody knows everything that there is to know. It's kind of like Mark Twain said, that we're all ignorant. That's true. We're just ignorant on different things. And vice versa, we're all smart. We're just smart in different things. I mean, there are some people that are really smart and speaking two or three languages. I have trouble with English and certainly definitely have trouble with Spanish, but I work at it. And there's people that are so, so good at that. I mean, people, there's people that know uh, some things about everything, uh, or some things. Uh, everybody's going to know some things that, that, that's good, valuable information. Kind of like the story that Ralph Fox was talking about. He's talking about, well, how do you get a post out of the ground? You ever try to pull a post out of the ground, like a cedar post? I mean, it's hard. And he's talking about this old fellow. He said, well, what you do is you get you a long pole and a chain or a strong rope, and you tie it right there at the base, and on the end of that long pole, you just pull straight up. That's how you get a post out of the ground. Unless you've got a tractor, and the tractor will pull it up out of the ground. That was smart. I mean, we might, if we were just doing it, we'd be sitting there yanking on it, and it just, it just won't come out. And we'd just be working up a storm, and here's a fella, just no farmer. He says, well, here's how you do it. To illustrate what? Well, we're all smart about things. We're all ignorant about things, different things, but we're all smart about different things. In verse 14, with whom took he counsel? And who instructed him? And taught him in the path of judgment. And taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. I mean, who gave God any kind of advice or wisdom or insight about anything? Nobody. God had all that knowledge. He didn't consult with anybody about how to make the planet. He didn't consult anybody of how to make a sun that can continually burn and burn and burn and not burn itself out. I mean, how, who, who gave God that insight? Well, God knew all that, how to make the sun, that it could be a continual source of energy for us here on planet Earth. Ah, verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. That's an interesting phrase. You know, there are various phrases that get into our language that come from the Bible. This would be one of them, a drop in a bucket. 
Could you imagine a five-gallon bucket? Five-gallon bucket or whatever, water or milk or whatever, and you pour all that out? And you go, whoa, wait a minute, here's a milk farmer. Whoa, wait a minute, there's still a drop left in that bucket. Hey, get that drop out before you take it and wash that thing out. A drop? A drop compared to five gallons? I mean, why would you sit there and spend, you know, and, and wait for like five minutes for that last drop to fall out? Because a drop is insignificant to a five-gallon bucket. Well, that's what he says about nations. They're like a drop in a bucket. <laughs> pretty insignificant, pretty small. And there are some pretty big nations in the world. If you think about the nation of China, like the largest nation, over a billion people, they're a drop in a bucket. And are counted as small dust of the balance. Small dust on a balance. Could you imagine going to Kroger or going to Walmart or going to the deli counter and you're going to get some fresh cut cheese or some fresh cut meat, some deli meats or something? And they're slicing off. You say, well, I want, uh, I want a pound. I want two pounds of, of uh, thin, thin sliced ham or whatever your selection is. And they get ready to set it up there, and you go, whoa, wait, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, there's a little bit of dust on that balance. I'm not paying for that dust, that fine dust. Would anybody do that? I mean, yeah, yeah you, could, you could probably get, hey, there's a little bit of dust right there. <laughs> it's insignificant. And you, 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 yeah, you could wipe off a little bit of dust. You could probably see a, a tiny bit of dust, but it's so insignificant. That's the point. That the, that the people and the nations of this world, they're like the small dust of a balance. Behold, he takes up the isles as a very little thing. You think about the various islands. You ever been to Hawaii? You look on the map, well, they're tiny, but you actually get out on the islands, well, they're pretty big, I mean, physically. I was only on Oahu uh, when I went to Hawaii a few years back. But about the size of Pulaski County. I mean, Pulaski County, pretty spacious. I mean, we kind of stretch out. And so when you're, if you were walking around the island, well, that'd be a pretty good walk to walk all the way around Oahu. You can, you can do it. The shoreline goes all the way around. The interesting thing about Hawaii is that the shorelines is public property. Nobody owns any beaches, so you could technically walk around even in front of a lot of nice houses because the beaches are public, and you could walk all the way around the whole island there of Oahu. But it's small. Or you could take the island of Australia. It's still small compared to God. Verse 16. And leaven is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. I mean, if you took the great, the great forest, the great cedars of leaven, and you, you chopped them all down, like going down here to Daniel, Daniel Boone National Forest, and you chop a bunch of little trees, and you pile all them up, and you're going to burn all them, and you gather up all the cattle around the various surrounding counties, and you're going to offer that as a burnt offering. Well, it still would be insignificant for the greatness of our God. Verse 17, All nations before Him are as nothing, and they're accounted to Him less than nothing in vanity. I mean, they are so insignificant. I mean, could there be any nation to say, hey, let's plot against God and un undo His plans and, and, and His desires? Nope. Psalm 2 talks about that, how they, how they thought they were going to fight against God, and God in heaven just laughs about it because really it's kind of comical. To think that somehow you're going to take down God. It'd be like in the summer when the ants are crawling around or maybe some grasshoppers or stink bugs and they're looking at uh, David Hatfield and say, hey, let's, let's take that boy down. You think a bunch of ants are going to take David Hatfield down? He's going to take anybody down here. No! He just reach over there and just step on them and be done with them. 
God is that great. I mean, uh, that, that, that's just the greatness of our God. He's incomparable to creation. And then in verse 18 through 26, Jehovah is contrasted to idols. In verse 18, he says, To whom then will you liken God? I mean, what would, he, what would he be compared to? What would he be like? Or what likeness will you compare to him? You look at creation, creation and all the things of creation, nations, peoples, islands, mountains, etc., insignificant compared to God. You look at the idols, well, they're pretty much uh, vain, vain and empty also. Verse 19, the workman melts a graven image and the goldsmith spreads it over with with gold and cast silver chains. So here somebody, they make a gold idol. Very rich. You know, gold, pretty expensive. And you're going to make this idol, whatever how big it is. Or you're going to make an idol and you're going to cover it in gold. It's still going to take a lot of money. And you're going to cast these silver chains and you're going to deck it all out with all these jewels and what have you. It's still nothing to be compared to God. Verse 20, he that is so impoverished that he has no oblation chooses a tree that will not rot. So here's somebody, they're kind of on the lower income strata, but they're going to make an idol, so they're going to make it out of a tree. Now they don't want to get pine, pine will rot away, so hey, we'll get, we'll get a cedar tree. Or we'll get a locust tree. Locust is pretty durable. I mean, you can set it on the ground. You can, actually, you can set a post in the ground. And I remember when I was a kid, I was stayed with my brother-in-law and sister, worked a farm a couple of years in between 10th and 12th grade. And we took up this locust post. I was about this big. And it was up near the corn crib and had a little lot for the hog. And we took that post up, been down in the ground maybe 50 years, and we pulled that out, pulled that bark back, and it looked like a new post. Just had been in the ground 50 years, didn't rot. So this fellow's going to make a tree out of a locust post. And so he gets this wood that doesn't rot. He, maybe he gets cedar. And he sees to him a cunning uh, workman to prepare a graven image that it shall not be moved. So they work to carve up this image, whatever, out of this wood that's not going to rot. And they're going to set it up. And it's not going to move. And as the psalmist says, it's got feet, but it can't walk. It's got hands, but it can't do anything. It's got eyes, but it can't see. It has ears, but it can't hear. It has a mouth, but it can't speak. But they're going to fall down and say, deliver me. To this dumb idol, just a piece of wood. In verse 21, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? He, uh, it is he that sets on the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. The inhabitants are as grasshoppers. Small, insignificant, just insects can be squished, can be just thumped and, and taken out. Just so simple. That's how God looks at the inhabitants. Nothing uh, is uh, daunting to God. Even the giants like Goliath. That stretches out heavens as a curtain and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in. I mean, here's somebody erects a tent. I mean, God, he does the heavens that way. It's no big deal to God. That brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of earth as vanity. I mean, here's Nebuchadnezzar. You think about him in history. Oh, the great powerful king of Babylon. The great hanging gardens of Babylon. World renowned of their day. The great walls where they had chariot races. Chariot races. I mean, walls that were wide enough to have uh, several chariots to go side by side to race around uh, the city of Babylon. And here you have King Nebuchadnezzar. 
And one day, boom, it went out of his mind. He humbled him. And for several months, he was like an animal. He was out of his mind. He would sleep out there, and dew would be on his body in the morning. His fingernails grew out. His hair grew long. And then Nebuchadnezzar recognized God and brought him back to senses. Yeah, princes are nothing. Verse 24. <clears throat> yes, they shall not be planted. Yes, they shall not be sown. Yes, their stock shall not take root in, uh, in the earth. He also blows upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. Here you got all these idols. Do they grow? Do they change? No. They're going to be moved. You've got to grab that big idol and you've got to carry it and set it somewhere else. It doesn't take root. It doesn't sprout out. It doesn't grow, etc. Uh, they can be blown over. They could fall over. The earthquake comes and, and these idols fall down. <clears throat> and so that's talked about here as you think about Jehovah God and compares to idols. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, uh, who has created these things that brings out their host by number, who calls them all by names. You think about the host of heaven. He's like all the stars. He's got them by name. I mean, that's tremendous. Of the millions and millions of stars that there are. <clears throat> and so he calls them by name, by the greatness of his mind. For he is strong in, in power, uh, not, uh, not, one, not one fails. That is, God establishes these things, and they're there. And you go out and look at the constellation, like the Big Dipper. That was one of the first ones that I learned as a kid. Big Dipper's still out there. Still looks the same. 63 years. Been living on planet Earth 63 years. Still looks the same. Hasn't changed. I mean, it's just tremendous. It's tremendous. And then notice here in the last part, does God care about us? Does God know about our condition? Here's the Jews speaking. I don't here we are in, in captivity and all the problems. What, what about this? What about God? God, do you care? Do you know? Why say you, O Jacob, and speak you, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed from over, uh, over from my God. God, God doesn't see. I mean, when we're in the midst of trouble and persecution, God, what, what are you doing about this? Don't you see? Don't you see the injustice? Yeah. Yeah. God sees all these things. I mean, you look at the book of Revelation, chapter 6. How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood upon them that dwell upon the earth? What, God, what are you going to do about this? Don't worry. God's going to take care of things. He just doesn't take care of it on our time scale and our way of uh, when and how things should be taken care of. But God takes care of things. He understands. He sees. Have you not known? Have you not heard that the everlasting God, uh, Jehovah, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding. That's something pretty interesting. God doesn't ever get tired. Sometimes we see little kids and they, like they're, they look to be full of energy and some kids are super high energy, but you know, ultimately they get tired too. They will finally get tired at the end of the day and they got to go to sleep and they'll sit down and they'll fall asleep. Yeah, it happens, but not God. He doesn't get tired. He gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall, be, uh, shall utterly fail. But they that wait upon the Lord renew their strength. They shall, mount up as they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. We'll look at that here in a few minutes a little bit more. Our incomparable God. Now, let's look at some practical lessons. 
implicate. When we think about how great God is and compare it to creation, creation is nothing. God is bigger than everything in creation. Idols, he bigger than that. That's just the figment and the imagination of people uh, that makes these things. But God, he's greater than all. There's nothing to compare God. He's incomparable. First lesson, when we think about how great God is, it's just going to humble us. When we think about how great, we sing that song, How Great Thou Art. I mean, you think about how vast the universe is, and God's greater than that. God, God is just tremendously great. And you just have to stand in humility. There in Isaiah chapter 6, it says, The year the king Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphim. One on, uh, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved, and the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah saw God upon the throne in the vision, he just, he recognized, I'm just not worthy. I'm unclean and I live among unclean people unholy people, sinful people and we have no business standing in the sight of God we are totally unworthy and that, that's the effect when we think about how great God is I mean think of what the psalmist said there in Psalm 8 in Psalm 8 verses 3 and 4 when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers the moon, the stars which you have ordained you go out on a clear night and you look at all the stars and you see the moon in all its glory. And you, and you think about the vastness of the universe. Here's what the psalmist said. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you're visiting? Who, who, who are we? We're, we're just a speck in the great cosmos of the universe. We are just a speck. We are a speck on a small planet in a solar system with a tremendous big sun and there's a lot bigger suns and stars in the universe and we're just a speck on planet earth just one measly little human being and you just you just you just have to stand it all you think about luke chapter 8 when uh jesus of course he was there on the boat and he was teaching the people and then he tells peter hey let's launch out to the deep and Peter said, you know, here's an experienced fisherman. You know, we fished all night, we didn't catch anything. Okay, but you said it. So they go out, they cast out their nets, and they get so many fish. They couldn't, wow, it was just tremendous. And here's Peter's response. When, Peter, uh, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When we contemplate the greatness of God, the effect that it will have, it will just make us humble that we are insignificant and small. And therefore, we should reverence and stand in awe of the Almighty. Something else that's necessarily implied when we think about our incomparable God, that we will want to worship Him. Consider what Paul, when he writes the book of Romans, he gives this great thesis that salvation is Christ Jesus for Jew and Gentile alike. And how the Gentiles, they had knowledge of God, but they wouldn't retain God under knowledge. And God had evidence himself throughout creation that he is the true living God, for creation testifies of his greatness. And so Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 25, Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. 
Paul thinks about the stupidity of Gentiles rejecting God and turning to idols and turning to all these lies. But then he thinks about how they rejected the Creator. He says, who is blessed forever? Amen. He gives homage. He gives praise. In Romans chapter 9, and in verse 5, he says, whose are the fathers and uh, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is overall God blessed forever. He thinks about the Jews, how they were the selected nation for the Messiah to come through. And Jesus was born of the Jews, of the Jewish nation, born a Jew, lived a Jew, died as a Jew. And he did all that because it was in the great plan of God. And he says, who is overall God blessed forever? He pays homage again to the greatness of God. In chapter 11, after arguing the great scheme of redemption in the gospel account of things, pick up there in verse 33, All the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, and of whom uh, 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 or whom uh, or who has first given to him, and it was, uh, shall be recompensed to him again. That's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 40. God did not take any counsel to make planet Earth, nor did He take counsel to make the great creation of redemption in Christ Jesus. And when Paul contemplates that, for of, for of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Yeah, when we think about our incomparable God, how great He is, and we sing songs, how great Thou art, you've got to want to worship God. And something else, he is able to help. He has the capacity to help. Go back there to Isaiah chapter 40 there, we just sort of read through it, where he talks about he gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. We draw our strength from God. Paul says, though the outward man perisheth, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. We draw our strength from God. And he uses illustrations there in verse 31. But he that waits on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God's able to energize and help us. And he uses eagles. We don't have too many eagles. We have some eagles around. We've got some falcons. Buzzards, we got plenty of them, but they're like eagles. They're birds that sail. They flap their wings to take off, and then they use the air. And why does this air move? Well, they roost in the night, and then the sun comes up, and the sun begins heating the air. And there are thermal updrafts. And eagles, like buzzards, they find these updrafts, and it just lift them up, just magically lift them up. They don't, they're not flapping their wings to get more height. Some birds, they've got to flap their wings all the time to fly and to gain height and to move about. Not, not buzzards, not eagles. They find these uplifts from the power of the sun, S-O-S-U-N, S-U-N sun, and it lifts them up. I mean, it's tremendous. And they just, they just sail around on a nice day laying back in the grass, just watching these birds just sail around, just effortlessly, drawing energy from the power of the sun. Spiritually, we do the same. We draw energy from the power of the sun, S-O-N, the Son of God. He energizes, He strengthens us. That's the, that's the language that's used. Physically, mentally, we get tired, but we draw energy when we think about the greatness of our God. He's able to help. 
You see, it depends how we spell God. Do we spell him with a little g, little g-o-d, or with a capital G, capital g-o-d? Consider there in the book of Numbers, 12 spies go out and spy out the land. 10 spies, ah, oh, no, we, no, no. Yeah, it's, it's a, a land that flows with milk and honey, definitely. I mean, it's, it's a great place, but there are giants in the land, and oh, we look like grasshoppers in the sight. And that's what the 10 spies said. And there we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which come uh, from, come of the giants. They're giants, their daddies were giants, their grandparents were giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were there in their sight. We feel like grasshoppers, and that's the way they look. That's the way we're just a bunch of little grasshoppers, and they'll just snuff us out if we try to battle against them. We can't take the land. See, they spelled God with a little g. That's how they looked at Jehovah God, with a little g. When we look at God with a big G, He is able? Yeah, He's able to do a lot of things above and beyond what we think. Yeah, He's able to help. He's our King. In Luke chapter 17, notice there verse 20 and 21. And when He was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, He answered, uh, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God comes not with observation. Neither shall they say, here, uh, say, see here, or see there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The rule of the king is not something of an outward manifestation that, we, hey, there's Jesus up on the throne. Hey, we need to come to him. We, hey, take these binoculars, take this telescope, and there you can see Jesus on the king, uh, on the throne, and we need to be submissive to this king. No, that's not the way it works. It happens in the heart. When we understand our God is incomparable, that Jesus is the great king of the universe, he's king of kings and lord of lords, when he is exalted in our heart, yeah, it will manifest us manifest itself in our lives. Mark chapter 12 talks about the same thing when they said, well, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, well, you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor yourself, and on these things there's no other greater commandments. And verse 32, and the scribe said to him, well, master, you have said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he, and to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as himself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices... And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. He understood that the kingdom of God is something that's within. We don't see it. We don't see it with our eyeballs. We, we don't look in telescopes. We don't, we, don't, we don't look at television. We don't look, go to the, cin uh, the cinema and, and watch some movie about God. We learn about it in the scriptures, and by the eye of faith, we see God upon the throne. And he's king. And that's the one we want to submit to. Because he's the one that has power. He has the power to forgive. He has the power to strengthen us. He has the power to guide us. He has the power to help us in every situation that comes. We don't know what life holds. We think, okay, we're going to plan for this, this, and this. Maybe we got that covered, but then something else comes up and we wouldn't even plan for that. Never even thought of that. Who would have thought of that? But when you have God on your side, yeah, he, he, he can plan for that. He knows all things. And finally, we're going to be thankful when we think about our incomparable God. You just, you got to have gratitude. you got to have gratitude as, as great as God is. Colossians 3 and verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which you are also called in one body and be you thankful. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. And everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And one more text there in Romans chapter 1 where Paul talks about the Gentiles and the sin of the Gentiles. He says in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. 
They knew about God. But they didn't glorify him as God. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't acknowledge him. They didn't humble themselves. They did not glorify him as God. Neither were they thankful. You know what's implied when it says neither were they thankful? It implies two things. It first implies they have something to be thankful for. Do we have anything to be thankful for? All right, here we have Thanksgiving Day Thursday. Or, well, lots of Thanksgivings for me. We had Thanksgiving last Saturday with our family. Had Thanksgiving uh, yesterday because... Uh, 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 Harold and Mary, next door neighbors... They had Thanksgiving dinner, and they brought food over to us, so I had Thanksgiving again. And you see, we had leftovers two or three times, so we had lots of days of Thanksgiving, but for the Christian, every day is a day of Thanksgiving. Because why? Because every day we have things to be thankful for. And it says, when they, neither were they thankful, they had something to be thankful for. Number two, what is implied, they have someone to be thankful to. Well, that's God, the Creator, the Creator of heaven and earth, the Sustainer of heaven and earth. Is God to be thankful to God? Be thankful to God for the things that they receive. We have that each and every day. And the Gentiles, that was a fundamental flaw. They did not recognize God, neither were they thankful. When people are unthankful, that's a fundamental error of life. Basic, fundamental error of living. We have always things to be thankful for. I mean, just count your breath. How many times do we thank God for breathing, for air? Just go a day without air. Just go up to outer space without air. If you don't have an oxygen tank, you're going to be in big trouble. Yeah. So many fundamental things that we have to be thankful for, for the every provision of life. Yeah, we have much to be thankful for, to this incomparable God that loves us and cares for us and sent his son Jesus to die on the cross that we could be saved. We extend the invitation. The plan of salvation is clearly revealed. We hear this good news about how Jesus died on the cross. And then we, of course, believe in this message that Jesus is the Son of God, that we're willing to repent, to turn to God, willing to confess just like the eunuch before man, and to be baptized. That, those are the steps to get into Christ. Those are the steps to become a Christian. And then every day we just grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior and just seek to be faithful. Just keep growing. Just keep growing. We have the capacity to keep growing. We're kind of like uh, reptiles. Reptiles, they always grow. They don't get to a certain age and say, okay, we're going to quit growing. Oh, they, they keep growing. That's why you got some of these crocodiles that are like 25 feet long. They always grow. So if they're not killed somehow, they live and they just keep growing. And spiritually, that's what we can do. We can grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And if we do have, we got the second law pardon that is to repent and ask God for forgiveness. We're going to sing the invitation song. It is your opportunity to make your life right. If you need to respond to heaven's invitation, we're here to assist you and help you. If you want to come to this incomparable God, he's there with open arms to receive you if you will step out in faith and obedience. Come and let us know if we can help in any way.